Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And I trust something you hear in this next hour will open you to the infinite expression of the divine. As our guest today says, the one that is our home. I love that. Mm. The world's religions, spiritual and indigenous traditions refer to the one by myriad different names and by no name at all. Those differences deserve to be respected, he says. And yet, they don't matter ultimately the one is the one no matter what name we use our guest says that his life has been a pilgrimage of ecstatic joy and deep belonging of alienation and profound despair as he felt completely lost in the fog of forgetting of healing light and remembering of deep inner reflection and passionate compassionate service in this wondrous and wounded world i love his words you're gonna get it he is so poetic and has a way with words i can't wait to introduce him so first i invite you to take a few deep breaths bring your awareness into this moment open your mind connect with your heart and settle into your essential self as i introduce our guest The Reverend Canon Charles P. Gibbs is an Episcopal priest, visionary, and poet who has dedicated his life to serving the sacred in the world, especially through interreligious and intercultural engagement. His new volume of poetry, Light Reading, Selected Poems of a Pilgrim Journey, is an inspiring reflection of the mystical grounded in everyday life. He recently became senior partner and poet-in-residence for the Catalyst for Peace Foundation. And from 1996 until his retirement in 2013, he served as the founding executive director of the United Religions Initiatives, one of my very favorite organizations on the planet right now. As executive director, he worked with thousands of colleagues around the world to guide URI's growth and from a, form a vision of becoming the world's largest grassroots interfaith network. Welcome, Charles. Thank you, Julie. It's a joy to be here. Mm. Well, it is a joy for you to be here And I can't agree with that more. And I am so looking forward to our conversation because your life is just a a beautiful expression. But first, before we even go there, I have a traditional question here on the Dr. Julie Show. Um, Charles, should I call you Reverend Gibbs? Oh, Charles, Charles. please. Charles is fine. Okay. So our our first question, our tradition here is, kind of helps put our conversation into a larger perspective and really play out a meme that we like to make sure that we're talking about. So can you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? Mm. It has, uh, I guess, been clear to me 
probably most of my life that that on one level there is an essential unity uh, and that unity is manifest in all kinds of glorious and sometimes challenging and befuddling different ways i probably learned that most clearly growing up with a brother who had down syndrome who on the one hand seemed so different and uh the the world of his school and his friends who also had down syndrome on the one hand seemed so different yet on the other hand was not different at all uh so i i've i've had this sense not only in the human community that that we are all one but that in this vast unimaginable cosmos we're a part of there is an essential foundational oneness everything is within and part of everything else mm-hmm. i feel it's it's critically important that we as a species develop the capacity the consciousness of that oneness that we are not only all connected with each other we're connected with this sacred earth with the earth community and really all that is that we cultivate that that sense of our unity and from that can both express and cherish in each other our unique expressions of that i i believe each of us is sent here and comes here to be a unique expression of the fundamental oneness that invites greater awareness of that oneness the more we can see each other as uh one and as distinct expressions of that the more we can celebrate each other the more we can work together in a way that uplifts everyone because we are all the same mm. Thank you. You know, your response um, feels like a beautiful synopsis of your life and your career. And as I was mentioning, um, I see you as an expression, this beautiful tapestry of witnessing the sacred in the world. And I love how you're just your natural essence is this expression of the divine and and you said it so beautifully there of developing this consciousness of oneness and cultivating our sense of that unity so in that you've been an episcopal priest you've been the founding executive director of of united religions initiative a mystic a poet a peace advocate there's so much that we can talk about as we pull these threads into our conversation but Let's start at the beginning, mm. because, Charles, I would love to start with the person, Charles. You mentioned a brother with Down syndrome, which really, I imagine, inspires a whole different lens of looking at the world for, for a young person. But what are some of your earliest experiences and, and formation and your sense of call? What inspired and influenced this deep sense of the sacred within you? Well, I... I guess my most honest answer is I, I I somehow came into the world with that. 
Uh, mm-hmm. One of my favorite poets is William Wordsworth, and he he uh, wrote so beautifully, our birth is but a sleep and a forgetting. Uh, this notion that we come into this world with an awareness that we're forgetting. That awareness somehow, for me, uh, led me to to the experience that the the spiritual dimension of life the the dimension that is beyond the material that's deeper than the material that interfuses everything that is with i think beauty and meaning that that was what was most compelling to me in my early years church was the place that represented that in a concrete way as did being out in the natural world but church home was a place where you, you spoke about that, and the language pointed to that. I loved church until I stopped loving church. And I stopped loving church when the words were no longer doors and windows into the beauty of the spiritual richness of the cosmos, but they became walls I couldn't penetrate that blocked me off from what I felt was a deeper richness. Uh, And I spent a long time away from church seeking the same sense of connection to the, the spiritual dimension of life and always with an understanding that that dimension, as we developed it and realized it in ourselves, called us into an engagement with the world outside ourselves in a way that that helped manifest what we discover about ourselves when we go inside. And I I explored that through the arts, through theater, and uh, through writing. Finally came back to the church in a stereotypical way when my wife and I were preparing to have our first child. I realized that for all the struggles I had with church, the values that mattered most to me in my life had come from growing up in a religious community. I decided I would, and my wife, we we agreed on this, would like to have that for our child. So I found myself inching back into church, still troubled by a lot of words, but ultimately working with little children rediscovering my connection with the faith that I had had as a child on that level. I say to this day that all the theology I feel I really need is encapsulated in the song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine. Mm, I love the simplicity in that. You know, what would our world look like if that was our collective theology? I, I think it would uh, it would shine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's let's start a campaign, Charles. I, I actually, it's um, next year, 2017, is the 500-year of um, anniversary of the Reformation with Martin Luther King and or Martin Luther and and I was thinking about um, what would our what would we really create if we started a conversation about mm. that and so I love that thank you for sharing that that uh, children's absolutely. song how many of us have sang that song 
It's amazing. Well, so, I, I most recently, uh, I don't know, maybe a little over a year ago, was in Sierra Leone and asked to lead a sacred opening for a gathering there. I played uh, a Bruce Springsteen version of that song. The whole place was up, Christian, Muslim, uh, young, old, men, women, up dancing around to that song. And they it was so clear. They found themselves in a new way in that music and saw themselves uh, in in the midst of all the struggles from civil war to Ebola, the, the, the recognition that they had light, light they, they shined every day. That was such a, an elevating moment for them, for me, for sure. And still now, this time later, that song is one they turn to from time to time. Hmm. So I think we all all are yearning to feel that light inside us. We're all yearning to have someone outside us see and validate that that light is there and find the ways we are uniquely called to shine our light into the world. Mm. Well, thank you. I couldn't agree more, and I, I think that you're doing a beautiful job, and and I love the name of your book, Light Reading, but we'll go there in a minute. It's a, it's a beautiful expression of the same thing. But I, I just met a, a month ago another Episcopal priest, and, and I said to him out loud, what is it about Episcopal priests? They're like my favorite people on the planet. And, you know, when we think of mystics, we think, of course, the Sufi, and we think of, of some of the traditional Catholic monks and and different people but there are so many mystics that come from the episcopal tradition so you became a a priest Mm. and you served and then you went to united religions initiative and i i just want to bring this into your story because the whole model of URI is beautiful, but you took nothing and and became this first executive director to really bring form and function into a very big and like Bishop Swing says, or Bishop Swift, a very lofty goal as well on those early days of saying, you know what, can we assist and facilitate religions getting along and so tell us about those early years for you sure and it is swing you had it right the first time oh i said it backwards okay swing Uh, yes um those early years and i'm actually working on a book uh, that includes some of that right now so i've been spent a lot of time reflecting on that Uh, one, one of the reflections is Holy smokes, were we crazy. Uh, we, we had no idea what we were getting into, really. And on some levels, no idea even what we were doing. We just felt this deep calling that included in it a deep listening to what we felt the Spirit was asking of us. We felt a calling to explore how people of different traditions might come together not to make one tradition, but to amplify the good that is in all the traditions and, as a consequence of that, minimize the shadow that is in all traditions. 
For me, the early years uh, were so filled with adventure after adventure, travel after travel. I, I, I calculated more or less in 17 years, I flew a million and a half miles. I flew a lot of those in the early years as I, I went all over the world meeting with people of different faiths and different cultures, putting forward this thin little vision of possibility and discovering that that vision resided in the hearts and the souls of people of all different faiths, all different vocational backgrounds, ages, uh, all over the world. I found myself again and again and again all over the world. And I think other people found themselves in this strange white Christian male who showed up from North America. We began knitting together a community, a community that at its best is grounded in what, what I was attempting to say in my answer to your first question, a community that was grounded in a notion that we really are all one. And in that oneness, we learn from our differences. We celebrate our differences, not as contradictions, not as I'm right, you're wrong, but as, wow, that's a different language to say the same thing. So the early years, I think for almost everyone involved, were these years of endless ahas and invitations to stretch the, the boundaries of what we thought we knew, to let walls that had boxed us in fall away, to discover these wide open fields where lots of people were saying, come out and play. And let's play in a way that will make the world a better place for everyone. So in that ethos, an ethos of deep mutual valuing, where we strove to listen more than we spoke, both listen inwardly and importantly to listen to each other, we began to weave together vision and structure uh, that was ultimately expressed in the charter that was signed in June of 2000 with uh, the sentence I say it took four years to write that I will remember probably after I've moved on to the other side. Uh, we, people of diverse religions, spiritual expressions and indigenous traditions throughout the world hereby establish the United Religions Initiative to promote enduring daily interfaith cooperation, to end religiously motivated violence, and to create cultures of peace, justice, and healing for the earth and all living beings. You hear my voice saying that. When I say it, I hear the voices of thousands of people all over the world who spoke into the distillation that is those words. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for even just letting that emerge here in the conversation because it's beautiful. I tell you what, the video that was made and your voice is in it, mm. there's a video on the URI org. Um, uri.org, the website, people can go if you're listening and you want to hear it. It is 
a moving video with all kinds of different people. I love the beginning where it's just that opening phrase said over and over and over again in all these different Oh, beautiful, shining faces. Talk about light. So thank you for your hard work and diligence and patience Mm. to sit there. You know, you began knitting together a community, and it wasn't like knitting a lap robe that would be done really quickly. Uh, Your knitting (laughs) took years, and that vision and that structure coming into form, it, it needed that. It needed that that patience and that cultivation of this new ethos. So thank you for that service because I think that is a gift to all of humanity and it's a beautiful model for us to continue to really um, use in a lot of different ways in a lot of different organizations. Mm -hmm. Well, you're welcome and I accept that thanks not only uh, on my behalf but on behalf of the the myriad folks around the world without whom this couldn't possibly have happened and wouldn't still be thriving. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, and thank them. And I just, you know, we just have a few minutes before break, but I just want to really rest and pause in this place of your story going from, I asked you about your childhood and you were born with this essential unity, this awareness of this essential unity. And we can see how really you've been weaving this and and knitting this throughout your life. And so your service with URI is a, a beautiful expression of that. And after the break, I want to move into the new pieces of your life and the new manifestations of, of bringing light because you're still moving toward that with the, with the peace advocate that you are. So here we have three minutes before break, and um, I'm going to introduce your poetry right after the break. And you wrote a book called Light Reading. It's beautiful. But I want to make sure that our listeners know how to find you. And I think, let me see if I have it right in my head. Is it revcharlesgibbs.net, R-E-V-C-H-A-R-L-E-S-G-I-B-B-S.net? Is that your website? Exactly right. Okay, I'm going to repeat that for our listeners before we go to break. We're talking with Reverend Charles Gibbs, author, poet, amazing light on our planet. With the theology of this little light of mine, I love it. So we're going to go to break here, but you can find him and so much more about all that he's doing at RevCharlesGibbs.net, R-E-V-C-H-A-R-L-E-S-G-I-B-B-S.net, Reverend Charles Gibbs. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Coffee tastes like uh, coffee. So what's going on? Not much. What's new? Not much. Okay, but can you please put the newspaper down while you say not much? What newspaper? This newspaper. Oh, dude. What happened to your face? I see one, two, three, four, five, six. Dude, what is this? Eleven pieces of toilet paper stuck to your face? I'm shaving in the dark to save energy. I'm helping the environment. 
Well, that's a dangerous way to help the environment. Well, sometimes you have to sacrifice yourself for the greater good. Dude, there's an easier and safer way to help the environment without sacrificing yourself. Go green, go public. Take public transportation. It's good for the environment, and you won't have to live behind a newspaper. Wow. But for now, put the newspaper back up. A message from the public transportation systems across the country. To learn more, visit publictransportation.org. Sassy! Sassy! This week's episode, Danger at the Old Well. Last one to the old well's a rotten egg! Ha ha! I win! Whoa! Sassy! Johnny fell down the well! I'm wet! What, Sassy? You know where Mr. Gunderson keeps his rope? Go get it, girl! What? You'd rather use his time to set people straight about shelter pet adoption? I'm cold! People shouldn't be afraid to adopt from a shelter? Because shelter pets are screened for sound health and temperament? I'm wet and cold! Sassy, what about Johnny? <laughs> what? Let Johnny sit in the well until he learns to be more self-reliant? Sassy! What do you say? Sassy is brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. Remember, adopt! Have you ever lost a cat? And have you ever wanted to get your cat back after you lost it? Hi there, I'm Andrew Hoffman. I went on this website called inventnow.org. Then I decided to make an invention of my own. It's called the Lost Cat Magnet Invention. So you can get your cat back after you lost it. Just turn it on and lost cats stick to it. That's a good cat. If your cat was hiding up in a tree, it won't be up a tree anymore. It will be stuck to the lost cat magnet. And sometimes they fly toward you in the air. Just listen to one satisfied cat. See, that's proof. You should go to the inventnow.org website too. But just remember one thing. Don't do a lost cat magnet. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Get started on your own inventions or just play some games at inventnow.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Julie Kroll. If you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe even just listen to it again. You can visit our website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. And today I am here with Reverend Charles Gibbs, and I'm sure he would like to hear from you as well. You can find more about Reverend Charles at revcharlesgibbs.net. So once again, here we are, and right before the break, before we move on, Charles, I um, we were talking about your leadership with United Religions Initiative and it was so important and it's going strong and there's so many circles, cooperation circles all over the world now and you set up a really beautiful model for all of us but I'm just wondering before we move through that, if you have any hope, um, any any dream or hope yet for the interfaith relations and peace. You've worked with United Religions Initiative, and you're now with a peace advocate 
with the um, ah, I can't remember the name of it. Catalyst for Peace. Yes, Catalyst for Peace. Thank you. And I'm just wondering, before we move off of that topic, what's your hope? What are our next step as a humanity? Whoa. Um, and not to sound like a broken record, because there aren't many records left anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, I feel we need to reimagine who we are, what we do, how we understand what we understand, including our sacred texts, from the perspective of an essential oneness. Mm. There is so much in what I would call the shadow side of religion, and often in our sacred texts, and I'll own it in mine, which is the Christian Bible, that uh, uh, trumpets exclusivity, that, that creates otherness in a way that is, uh, uh, has justified horrible things historically. So much blood being shed, so many lives ruined, so many people demonized. There is no religion, in my experience, that is free from that shadow side. I would hope that we can transcend that shadow, that we can let the light of the beauty, the wisdom that is in every one of our traditions shine so brightly, both within us and into the world in a way that is uh, inclusive embracing and oriented towards serving the good of the whole. And in this case, I think urgently, the whole is the whole Earth community. I have many indigenous friends who say, uh, Earth is not in trouble, we're in trouble. The mother will be fine, but if we don't take better care of her, we may not be. I think we need to get over our arrogance about being the quote-unquote pinnacle of creation and take our place in humility in the circle of all life and do our best to shine a light that enables all life to flourish. I would like to see that become the work, not only of all religions, but of every vocation, including, by the way, business. I had a wonderful conversation some years ago with a, a Maori professor of business who talked about his MBA program, and rather than a triple bottom line, which says you shouldn't just have corporate financial profit, you should talk about social profit and environmental profit, he said we have a quadruple bottom line, but we don't talk about profit, we talk about well-being. So we ask what will this business decision or this business do to promote financial well-being? What will it do to promote community well-being? What will it do to promote environmental well-being? And what will it do to promote spiritual well-being? I would love to see that set of questions, those principles guide all of us as one humanity toward rebuilding the human community and making a just and upbuilding healing contribution to the larger earth community. Wow, that's powerful. 
those I, I love that I agree that is beautiful so you know you're talking about this healing for all of us and you are all about peace justice and healing and your words um, inspire listeners you just have this way with words even in the spoken word and let alone the poetry that you've been writing um, I just thank you for that encouragement and it just seems like if we open to this inherent unity, this essential unity that you're talking about, we we can move beyond boundaries and belief systems and, and really get along in the light. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah. So light reading. I want to make sure we have time to just really settle into some of your beautiful words and light reading is a a beautiful thank you uh, gift of poetry the thing that I love about your words and your writing and how you inspire is that you're bringing the sacred into everyday life Mm. Um, you, you bring it into the real world you put it on the ground you get into the grit and it's not just this sequestered from life or this monastic living kind of thing. Your words and your inspiration and your life and your career really bring the sacred and the divine into real life, moment-to-moment life. Tell us about your inspiration as a poet. Well, first of all, not to... Not to be too picky about words, but in this case, to to work to be a little picky about them. I don't think I bring the sacred into the everyday. Hopefully, I have developed and continue to develop a capacity to see the sacred that's already in the everyday. And I would hope that at their best, my poems might help shine the sacred that's already there. Uh, mm. I I don't believe there is a distinction. That's one of the manifestations of oneness. I think the the sacred is everywhere and all around us. So uh, to to develop the eyes, the ears, the heart, the mind that open us to that is. I think one of the highest human callings we we can have, and also it's foundational for a healed human community and a fulfilled human life, I think. So, uh, many sermons, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) My my inspiration, uh, I guess they, they, they include my mother, who who taught me what it, it, it meant to be a, a person of faith, who, who lived uh, her faith in the world, uh, to my brother Eric, who had Down syndrome, who taught me that there are no other people in this world, that we are all sisters and brothers, no matter how different we may seem. And if we believe we alone possess the standard of what is of value and that anything that differs from our sense of what is of value is by, by default not of value, we've made a tragic, tragic.
tragic mistake, and that mistake gets compounded every day, sadly. Uh, poets, many different poets, have inspired me. Uh, Martin Luther King, among other social activists, have been a deep inspiration to me. In, in, in such a large measure, he continues to inspire me because for him, his deep faith is is indistinguishable from his social activism. They, they aren't different things. They are, uh, he, he used the magnificent phrase, uh, woven together in a, a, a garment of destiny. Well, for him, religion and social activism are woven together in, in a single garment of how to live a fulfilled life of service. So th- those are, are uh, some of my inspirations that certainly, perhaps through it all, the, 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 the person of Jesus has been uh, an inspiration, uh, an invitation to me. I have sitting here on the bookshelf in my study a picture of Mahatma Gandhi, uh, right next to a book by about Albert Einstein. So <laughs> it's a, a, a pretty broad palette, quite frankly. Sounds like my library, mm-hmm. indeed. So I have a few of my favorite poems in your yes. book that's published. I'm wondering if you have a favorite one. Uh, I have... Um... I guess I have lots of favorite ones. <laughs> I'm happy to start with with yours and uh, see where we go. I also okay, have, by, by the way, one. I, I, it's not in the book. It's a, a new poem I wrote within the last uh, uh, month or so that, that, as I was thinking about this conversation, struck me it might be appropriate for our conversation. Oh, I would love it. Will you share it, please? Uh, sure. Would you like me to start there? Sure, yeah. Okay. Well, this is uh, called A Transformed Tomorrow. Mm. As all around us, old forms like parched plants wither away or hover at the edge of surrender, caterpillars entrusting all to an intuited chrysalis or rage with the destructive fury of a galaxy of exploding stars. Humanity inhabits a presence, a present suspended between promise and menace, echoing an urgent cry. Come, you who would be the womb to guard and grow a transformed tomorrow. The hour is late. Shadows lengthen. Come, you lost and forgotten. Come, you lonely and careworn. Come, you secure-seeming in vaults of power. Come, you who sail seas of change. Come, you who rise with the sun. Come, elders and youth. Come, wise women and humble men. Come, red, yellow, black, brown, white. Come from the east. Come from the south. Come from the west. Come from the north. 
led by light and love. You are the kindled spark called to conceive in co-creative goodness the already emerging future. Yes, the gestation will be long and often weary, but also overflowing with joy. So trust what grows in the nurturing dark. Yes, the labor will be long and the pain fierce, but new life will emerge. Under a pleasant sun, verdant fields revived, fluttering with rainbows of butterflies sipping nectar from bursting bright blossoms. Mm. That is so beautiful. Our listeners are going to love that, Charles. Wow. So this is new. It emerged Mm. over this last month. And I I just, again, um, marvel when you can take these really big concepts and just bring them into this poetic medicine. That was such good medicine for the soul right there. You're talking about evolution in a mighty large way, which goes beyond um, even the work of URI and and beyond all of that to say, hey, you guys, it's time for our transformation. We can do this. Mm. What a beautiful Absolutely. way. And then this poem, so I'm just, I'm sitting here sapping in that sap of the butterflies. Um, but what a beautiful way to really invite us all into this journey because we're all on this pilgrim journey, right? We're all here to transform the earth, to bring more light into, um, into our, ourselves within, into our planet, um, just into our, the consciousness. We know the light's already here, right? With your correction of, of me talking about this, the sacred and everything is that the light is here. It's just a remembering yeah of it so wow where do, so where do you where do you gain inspiration you sit down and does that just flow through you as the creative impulse or have you been thinking about the transformation on the planet for a while and and you knew this was niggling there how, do, how does that work through you well uh, to start with the the trans i've i've guess i've felt for decades that that we were on a cusp uh that an evolution of consciousness was really the the only path for enduring, to use a religious term, salvation, but mm-hmm. a salvation for everyone to save us from the madness we have created for ourselves uh, because our cleverness has so vastly exceeded our wisdom. Uh, we need to evolve into wiser, more compassionate beings. I've felt that for a long time. So that that has been clear. How it manifests in my writing is often a surprise. This particular poem, I was at a, a retreat in Oxford in the UK at the uh, Brahma Kumari's Global Retreat Center outside Oxford at a Call of the Time dialogue 
we were given six hours on a day in silence. I had every intention of spending the six hours meditating and being completely silent. About 45 minutes in, I had no choice but to open my journal and start writing. Uh, I wrote maybe four or five lines, thought, okay, that's good, closed it, and went back into silence. A little while later, another tap, uh, some more lines, and over the space of those six hours, I moved from place to place, always being still. By the time uh, that time was over, this poem was there. Mm. Like I mentioned, beautiful medicine. There's, it, it inspires me to ask something else of you, Charles. And by the way, I loved your words. Our cleverness vastly exceeded our wisdom, which is so true. Thank you. So you're holding this um, important message, and that, that poem is good medicine. One of the things I appreciate about your voice, again, is coming from your sense of theology, and I know you said, with the exception of a few words, <laughs> and you know, and and talking about just your cr- Christian tradition from the Episcopal lens, and in the same poem here, you talked about in your explanation the evolution of consciousness, which is so true. And I love how you hold those two things, and it just makes it easy to go. Of course, this, these are our next best steps. So, so. I'm just curious, you know, there's this this big movement of evolving our consciousness on the planet, and it doesn't mean that we are subscribing to a, a thought form or a belief system or a worldview of evolution or creation. It's just the same thing. It goes back to the beginning of our show when we talked about, you know, that this essential unity exists. It's all the same thing. What what can you say to our listeners about about that topic? Well, to, to use a, a a linear metaphor for something that is nonlinear. <laughs> Uh, If if you imagine uh, human history as a train, and every new generation adds a car to that train, we, we exist at a time where the whole trajectory of that train is fundamentally challenged. And I feel we're called not only, well, I, I feel we're called to add our unique car to that train in a way that fundamentally changes the sense of destination. It changes the sense away from externally driven accomplishment of uh, focus on power over others, of domination, of sort of mindless destruction of our Mother Earth to a sense of the symbiotic system we are a part of and that we have to tend our part in loving kindness, recognizing that our part isn't distinct from anyone else's, that that we are all called into an elevated relationship with our lives and with the whole uh, 
that is, there isn't a side that's going to win this if we want to look at it as a war or uh, us against them. The only winning in this is honoring the fullness of all that is and seeking a common ground that is settled in that and then building the most magnificent system of cooperation for the greater good we possibly can. Mm. Amen. Thank you. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. That takes me into the last little segment of our show, and I want to make sure that I leave you some time. And I am very curious to speak about the Catalyst for Peace Foundation. Mm. You've moved your work into the Catalyst of Peace Foundation, and and tell us who is the foundation. And obviously, it's about peace. You're there for peace, but you want to give us a little uh, taste of that. I, I would love to. In 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 two parts. One is a little. Um description and the second is another poem if you would permit me (laughs) oh absolutely and then i'll tell you my three favorite poems as well okay great so the the founder and president of catalyst for peace is a remarkable woman named libby hoffman uh the the film by the way that you you uh mentioned on the uri website which is is titled we unite was underwritten by a grant from Catalyst for Peace and was filmed in the context of a two-plus-year peace-building training that we did uh, supported by Catalyst for Peace. And Libby was not only responsible for helping to make that possible financially, she participated in it with people from uh, India, Uganda, Ethiopia, the Philippines, and the U.S. In that time, she became clear she wanted to focus on uh, post-conflict healing and reconciliation somewhere in Africa. She connected with this remarkable human rights activist from Sierra Leone, John Cocker. Together they co-created an organization called Fumble Talk, which means family talk in the Creole dialect in Sierra Leone. They used a traditional practice of community gathering and talking together to move through post-Civil War trauma with a focus on the notion that the wisdom, the resources that are needed for healing and moving forward already exist in the communities locally. They only need to be evoked. There needs to be a space mm-hmm. created where they can give, can find themselves and give voice. So this... Yes. This program, Fumble Talk, has moved from being a vision to now being in, if I remember correctly, over 4,000 villages in Sierra Leone. It's been an asset in uh, the, the challenges of Ebola and is now helping to, to blaze a, a powerful future in the time after Ebola, uh, working on creating whole system partnerships that have local communities at the center in which every stakeholder in the partnership is valued for the unique contribution they can bring, 
not where outsiders come in with answers to questions that haven't been asked yet, but the nice. community is the architect, the author of its own destiny, and everyone else is invited into partnership with that. We're in the process of helping to grow a national process. Uh, that's a big part of what Catalyst is doing. Another part that is emerging now is how to expand the, the learnings, lessons, and possibilities from that onto a glo- more global stage. Nice. Beautiful. That it, it is so important to work within and allow the wisdom to emerge. So, mm. way to go. This, this is beautiful. Can you give us our, the website? Yes, it's uh, Catalyst for Peace, C-A-T-A-L-Y-S-T-F-O-R-P-E-A-C-E dot org. Beautiful. Catalystforpeace.org. Okay, so I think we just have like three or four minutes left. I want to make sure that I get to hear this yummy new poem. Okay, here we go. This is uh, a poem uh, that I wrote in Sierra Leone the last time I was there. It's called At the MJ Hotel. Sitting in remote Kabbalah Koinadugu, Sierra Leone, on the veranda at the back of the MJ Hotel, whose front features two large banners of Martin Luther King, Jr. On a morning thickly hazy with the smoke of so much burning across the valley below me. The white Kleenex blackens as I wipe fine ashes from the tabletop to the music of birds in the trees around me, the red earth, the dry grass, the lush green banana trees, hanging heavy with fruit. The music of Creo flowing as the motel workers converse, breakfast just completed, lunch already cooking slowly over a nearby charcoal fire with rising wisps of pale smoke. Ahmed, the manager, ambles over, greets me. Your first time in Africa? My second time in Sierra Leone. He arches his eyebrows. My second time in this hotel, he pauses. I was here two years ago. Then the recognition, yes, two years ago, before Ebola. Yes, I say, before Ebola. You like Martin Luther King, I ask? Yes, and Gandhi and Mandela, nonviolence. I have some of his speeches on my computer. I have a dream, he almost whispers. I have a dream. I had that once. Could you download for me? I had it once before Ebola, before our need to hold and be held became deadly. I would like it again. I would like to have the dream. Mmm. Oh. Wow, what a beautiful note to end on. Reverend Charles Gibbs, thank you so much for your presence today and your inspiration and your beautiful words. Thank you, Julie, for all you do for all of us. Mm, Well, thank you. What a lovely reminder. I want you to check out Reverend Charles Gibbs at revcharlesgibbs.com. 
www.thelandofmyth.net and join us again right here next week. You can check out our upcoming listings at thedrjulieshow.com. Remember, together we create connections for the greater good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you all a world of love. Bye for now.